Welcome to the GBU Podcast, presented by Alex Mitchell. A massive welcome to this episode of the GBU Podcast. As always, a massive thank you and shout out to our friends at Rotten Events and the Creative Roots, two great organisations which make this podcast series possible. In this episode, I'm joined by a remarkable individual who has played a big part in my career and my business journey uh, over the last decade or more. He's got a huge experience in the agency world, as well as the non-exec side within sport, within digital, within design, and even within typography as well. He has been there and done it numerous times, and he has got the lessons and the scars to prove it as well. It does go on for a little bit longer than 15 minutes, but it is well, well worth listening to. So I hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm joined by a awesome individual, someone who's played a key part in my business career, my business life for, oh, I dread to think, 10 plus years at least, if not, if not longer. He's been an amazing support for me. He does a huge amount within the agency world, but then also the sport world as well. But without further ado, and to tell you a little bit about, more about what he does currently, Phil, over to you. Uh, hi, hi, Alex. It's been a pleasure, and I think it is more than 10 years, but it's been a pleasure. Um, what do I do? Well, for, I suppose it's in decades that I have to do. So this, uh, maybe over the last decade or more, my role has been more helping other people. Since 2004, actually I've just counted it, 16 years, isn't it? Since 2004, I've been more of a non-exec and a mentor to people who are running agencies. And uh, a lot of those agencies are uh, startups. Um, some of them are quite large, and it depends what they require from me. But I would say over the latter period of my life, it's all been about finding out what other people do and helping them do it better or helping them connect with the world. And the previous decade was all about digital. It was building a digital agency that uh, from the days before digital up until when everything was digital. So during that period, it was like a massive learning curve. And the decade before that was all about typography and type and it couldn't be further away from digital. And before it was serving an old fashioned five year apprenticeship. So, you know, nobody in my era or certainly where I lived, nobody went to university. It was just unheard of. And, um, and, and wasn't the era before that at Butlins or Pontings? I can't remember which one it was. That was... Yeah, that was the 70s. That was immediately after my five-year apprenticeship. And I'd, I'd done five years. My dad, my dad uh, insisted that I stick the five years out, even though I hated it after year one and year two. And the best advice I was ever given was, like, stick to something. And at the end of those five years, I, I was a compositor. I was indentured. I, I could go anywhere in the country and get a job, which was in that particular trade because in those days it was trade unions yeah but at the end of the five years i just thought i just fancy doing something really silly and uh, as a kid my parents like they'd always go on holiday camps or you know the furthest we would ever travel would be real oppressed that in and i thought i'll go and give it a go and i became a blue coat at pontins in blackpool for awesome. sea. <laughs> I was actually Uncle Phil. But, 
think nowadays you'd be arrested, but you know. I think yeah, I know now, now <laughs> certain police <laughs> operation might be wandering around looking at looking for an Uncle Phil. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine as Uncle Phil. <laughs> let's talk a little, I mean it was interesting what your dad said because it is actually about learning a skill learning a profession which then you can commercialize but let's come back to the current day because you talk about creative connections there are a lot of people out there that say oh I'm great at networking I'm fantastic at this I'm all about creating connections but there is a real skill to it like you I mean for example you take one of the podge lunches which are an amazing initiative you've set up across a number of different sectors and the effort, yeah. the focus, the time and commitment you put into matching people on tables, not only from a sector point of view, but from a personal point of view as well. It's, it's a lot of work, isn't it? It isn't just as easy as saying, hey, I'm going to do a quick email introduction. There is a lot of time and effort that goes into it around understanding the individuals. Yeah, I, I for things. So if, say, I'm going out to an event um, with the aim of meeting six people that I pre-identified and, and you work the room. I've seen so many people like that over the years and actually nobody wants to spend two or three minutes with someone yeah. whose eyes are looking over your shoulders at who they're going to speak to next. It's just a, uh, just a complete waste of time. And I've, yeah. I found out um, in the early 90s, sorry, in the, sorry, in the 2000s, a lady ran uh, something called Strengths Finder, and I spent time with this lady who went through people's strengths. Unknowns to me, the the chief exec of the company where I was I was working had bet her ten pound that top of my list of five strengths would be networking, because he'd always seen me as someone who was a serial networker. And when I did this Strengths Finder test with her and sat with her for an hour afterwards. She told me that this guy had bet £10 that I'd be a networker. And networking didn't appear in any of my five strengths. Really? And she couldn't figure that out either. So, and she, she basically said that what I do isn't networking. It's like, and, and when I thought about it, it's absolutely right. Because if I go somewhere, whether it's an IOD a room at the IOD or whether it's at the Groucho Club or wherever, I won't be the person going around looking for who is there and who I should yeah. I'm more likely to be the person who will go over to the bar and as people are coming in, they'll come up and say, oh, hi, Phil, what are you up to? And, but, so networking, when it's forced, I don't think it's a good thing, but actually getting yourself out and into, into circumstances where you're meeting people all the time is a really good thing. And sometimes it's the people you meet that you've not gone out to meet or the ones that you're not even aware are in the room that will actually end up changing your life. That's happened with me as to one or two of the introductions you've given me with Kitta Sat as well, as we know only too well. So and it's- um, Quite random, aren't they, sometimes? Yeah, totally random. But, but, but I think also you've not been, when you've met them, you've not been looking for the angle no not you've gone in to meet them as alex and they then find out about you through conversation and then they want to help you because what you're doing is amazing and i think i mean one piece of advice you gave to me i mean well over yeah it's definitely over 10 years ago 
was one of the first pieces of advice you did. I think it was at an IOD sports lunch or something like that. Jonathan Cummings, I think it was then the marketing director of IOD, yeah. was, I was at his table and he introduced you. And we were talking about it in, we were talking exactly about this connection thing and the importance of creating connections. And you turned around and said, the key thing is never go into it with what can I, what can I get out of it? It is, if you can make a connection, it is brilliant. Yeah. But don't go in there with, when you're looking at someone, you're talking to th- someone, don't look at them and think, right, what, what is in it for me? Just listen to how the conversation is going. Listen to the flow of it. Understand it. Get to know each other. Because if it is forced or if there, if there is that expectation that you want something from me or I want something for you, it is not going to be an enjoyable, an enjoyable situation, be it five minutes standing at a bar or two hours sitting next to, get, next to each other at a lunch. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that still sums it up. It's exactly that. If, I think if people find out more about what you do by asking you, mm. it's 10 times more valuable than you trying to tell them what you do. So much better during a conversation that it's drawn out. I mean, the fact that you started off this meeting mentioning Pontin's holiday camp, which is something I did for fun in 1974, I'm just thinking, you know, that, that is obviously something really silly, but it's stuck in your mind as being... Yeah, it has. It always has. <laughs> well, it's because uh, I was a teacher's assistant and then I was a, a gold panning instructor. And I remember my dad actually turning around to me and saying, what you need to do is do something where you get out and meet the great British public. You need some experience yeah. of meeting people and being challenged. And I ended up being yeah. a gold panning instructor at a gold mines in middle Wales called Dolacothy gold mines and I never found any gold and I don't think so I'm not a particularly good instructor but you did get to meet people and it was a bit different I'll tell you one one good example I can just give you that ties in with what you've just said um Jonathan Cummings whose name you mentioned Jonathan was the marketing director at the institute directors uh he had a very good friend who worked with me and uh, I was running a big agency at the time uh, one of my clients was the Premier League the Premier League asked us to build their website for them, the first ever Premier League website. So it was quite a big deal. And at the end of the deal, they gave me a box at Old Trafford to watch a European Champions League match, and, but with very little notice. And it was obviously a match that was not a big match, otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me have the box. And the guy that worked with me, I said to him, would you like to bring along a good friend? Because I'm, I'm going to be hosting this. And it's tonight. So this was like, we we're in London and the match was in Manchester that same evening. And he phoned Jonathan Cummings. And Jonathan Cummings, who was then at the IOD, uh, took about 30 seconds to just say yes. He, he had no clothes, he, hadn't, he didn't have time to show yeah. change. He said, yeah, I'll do that. And that, by him saying yes, and we got to know each other in the box watching football, He's, he wasn't even a Man United fan, he's an Arsenal fan. Yeah. Uh, we got to know each other and then we became friends, really good friends. And then when he wanted to leave the IOD, it was me that made the intro to him that has changed the whole of his career. He now runs all of Asia for a big branding agency called Fitch. But all yep. of that came through him saying yes to something that was random. He didn't say yes thinking there's something in it for him. Yeah. It was yes. A friend's invited me to go, I, I'm going to go. So that's quite a good example. I know, it's a great example. And let's um, come on to the bit where you mentioned at the start, you know, you held NED roles and you 
provide advice to startups and and uh, new agencies at the moment obviously with a lot of the people that might be watching this or listening to this this is something at some point in their journey they're going to have to look at if they are growing to a point you need to look at your board you need to get in the right skill set from your experience of sitting on a number of different boards both in executive capacity and a non-exec capacity what it's you know, what do you feel is important for a founder to ask themselves? Because it is about having that, that critical friend, that someone that can challenge you effectively. But you've got to be open to it, haven't you? Too often you hear these issues of founders not, you know, wanting people in, involved, but they're not willing to listen to the advice going forward. How do you deal with that side when you come into agencies, when you come in to sit on a board in an NED capacity? Yeah, well, I should say when I, when I first thought about doing this it was when I'd, I'd been working for 25 years or more and it was in 2004 and the first place I went was to the Institute of Directors because I was a member and they gave free advice because I, I had no idea what I needed to do to be a non-exec did I have to fill in legal forms or was I liable for are you going to lose your house if things go wrong yeah <laughs> exactly it was they were, all, they were all like big issues and and at the time, I'd, I'd had three different companies that were all, had all approached me and said, uh, we've just heard that you've given up full-time work. Would you come and help us? And I, I didn't know what would be expected of me. And I didn't know where I would add value, if I'm being really honest. And they were in three different sectors. One was in graphic design, one was in digital, one was in, in graphics production. Um, and I took on all three roles. And they all wanted different things off me. But the, the, probably the main thing was connecting, connecting them all with reality, the real world that's happening out there. Um, clients who, would, who have not heard of them, how do they get themselves known? You know, what sort of things should they be saying yes to and going out to? And right, because a lot, a lot of people who own businesses, they get carried, carried away with their own little bubble yeah uh, they think that they sometimes they think they're more important than they are they they actually you know they're managing director or they own something but that's something it's only a small business that needs mm. needs to grow to grow it needs more people with some of the companies it's helping them hire good people so it could be <clears throat> um, an owner who wants a managing director but sometimes the owner is not the best person to interview the managing director because the owner is so preoccupied with their own way of doing things and so sometimes it's just me sitting in on an interview sometimes me finding the person for them not not as a recruitment agency but just through my own network um a lot of times it's it's a, a shoulder to cry on if things are not going so well or they've got issues that might be people issues you know one of one of the businesses i've been i worked with for the last 10 years there were two partners and one of the partners wanted to buy the other partner out. That took several years to do that. But then you need somebody that's independent that has got nothing to gain by from either partner. So you're yeah. there where you can give advice equally to both. Um, I also think from my perspective, just bringing a bit of fun into businesses because sometimes a non-exec is probably only there one day a month. You know, it's not like there all the time. You're not there every week. You're not there on the phone all the time. And sometimes it's when you walk in 
to a business, you just bring something where everybody's really pleased to see you and they want to tell you what they've been up to. And rather than a non-executive only turns up for board meetings and then tends to focus everything on the balance sheet. And the, you know, I, I would be much more likely to go in and say, show us what work you've been doing during the month. You know, what, what work have you done this month that you're really, really proud of? Um, helping them with the press, helping them forge relationships with the owners of the magazines that are relevant to them. If it's a design business, that could be Creative Review or a Design Week or, or the Drum. You know, if it was a digital business, it would have been, they're not around anymore, the old New Media Rage or Revolution. But it's forging relationships with people that will ultimately be valuable to them. Getting them, getting the owners on judging panels. Just, that's another good way of actually building a profile for a company. You know, it's okay uh, you winning two or three clients and doing a brilliant job for them. But actually, you need to build your own reputation as well as the company's. And quite often, going out, uh, being a judge, I've, I've chaired the Daddy Awards for the last 12 years. Yeah. And I choose 40 judges a year to come and do that. And those 40 judges are a real mix of technology people, creatives, marketeers, um, CEOs, MDs. But one thing that I see at every judging session is how they all engage with each other. And so just by doing things like that, you're building your network. Um, you'll become more well-known. Then you turn, turn up at the awards themselves. You're on a table with the other judges. And so a lot of it is just from, because of my particular skill sets, they tend to be more touchy-feely yeah. rather than, um, you know, if I was asked to come in and look at a company's balance sheet and accounts and then tell them everything I needed to know about that business from looking at numbers, I would be completely lost, completely lost. It's I, I think it's, again, having, that, having those connections it comes back to that thing. I mean, you see a lot in business where even in big businesses, I mean, at the moment you're seeing it with boards which surround themselves with the old boys network, for example, they don't have enough diversity. They don't have enough connections from further afield. So the conversations they have at board level, be it a big footsie or a smaller startup or a scaling business are very, very insular. So you don't have those challenges coming in which i, I yeah. think is obviously what you add a lot to in some of the businesses you sit on i think also where where it's been helpful to the people that i've worked with in the most recent years is that uh, quite a few people who are non-execs that go into the role to help businesses have never actually done it themselves yeah. they've never actually put their house of security to borrow money to build a business where everything is at risk and the stresses that go with that and my uh, my house back in the days when i started my first business was 1979 to 1990 and the three myself and two partners all our wives had to go with us to the bank sign a document that said they agreed that should the business be owed money that we were all joint and several and that if uh, we would lose the houses if the business went under and in those days it wasn't just getting an apple mac it was like buying hundreds of thousands of pounds of the kit 
So when you've been through the stress of knowing that you can lose everything, if you make wrong decisions, you tend to make more, more right decisions than wrong ones. Because as so long as you learn from them, I think is the key thing. Is like, don't, miss, of, don't make the same mistake twice, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and during that period, those original 11 years, it, it was, um, we then sold our business on a three year earn out between 1987 and 1990. Uh, and a lot of the people that are in your network of startups, they wouldn't have been, they're probably at school back then. But during that period, there was a lot of learning, you know, and we learned what it was like going through an earn out, that how flexible you needed to be with the people so that the people buying you were getting what they expected. But yeah. you were still able to do things in the way that made you, uh, made them want to buy you in the first place. And lots of lots of give and take during that whole whole process. Um, it was just it was a funny time. It was an interesting time. I think people now go into an earnout, sometimes not realizing what they've just sold, and how their influence is going to drop, like quite drastically once someone else owns their business. So I've in yeah, no more the big I am in their business. Someone else has direct control over them rather than them over everyone else. Yeah, and, and sometimes they want to blame the people that bought them. And actually, that's not yeah. either, because the people bought them for other reasons. They, they might just need those skill sets that they want to add on. But several of the companies that I've worked with, part of my brief has been to help them look for a future buyer. And, and they're all different. There's a company in Newcastle who have now sold, who I worked with them two years and they're two, just two normal lads. One's a Sunderland fan, one's a Newcastle fan. They're both now retired, both multimillionaires and not having to work anymore. And I, I think my little part in helping them find the people that did that deal, I feel really chuffed for them. The awesome. thing is with a non-exec, if you do a good job, you often get fired because <laughs> <laughs> success means that the company you're working for is has been sold that's happened to me five times now over the period what went wrong there <laughs> if I was you're too like, good at what you do phil that's the problem what's I, I just, if, you, if you write a business plan it's a failure <laughs> <laughs> just to sort of as, as we're wrapping up this session you mentioned you know when when you set up with three other colleagues in 1980 when you you know where the risk was on the line when the house was online and all the rest of it, let's sort of move into the, the risk element or when things, luckily then it didn't, but when things do go wrong, what, yeah. what has happened? Because you, there, there is this, I mean, we, we, I did one of these interviews earlier and the lady I was speaking to then was saying, you know, when things go wrong, it can be the best, best lesson you can learn for your business because it can shape the future of your business or the future of what you want to do. But you've got to understand what went wrong. And you've got to understand the lesson that was learned from it. To so just go, it something went wrong, and now I need to move forward. You've got to learn from those mistakes. What, what have you know? I'm sure nothing has ever gone wrong in your career, apart from possibly Uncle Phil at conference. <laughs> but aside from that, what um, you know, what have you learned when things haven't quite gone according to plan? Um, well, when you say nothing has gone wrong, so if I use uh, when I sold my business, I. Uh, after the three-year earnout, I was really lucky because I'd I'd survived the earnout. And if you there was a really bad recession in the early nineties, 
and my two partners who were good friends as well as business partners they decided to leave their money more, more money in of the company that were buying us because they were on a real rise and the share price was going up and up and up this is prior to us knowing there was this recession um, i am quite impulsive and the minute that i had some money i wanted to do something with it so i i bought a plot of land in portugal in the early days of the earnout even before the earnout had ended bought a plot of land in portugal said to my wife babs that at the end of the earnout we'll build a villa on it of course the end of the earnout coincided with this recession and uh, the builder that was working on it ran off with a whole stage of payments uh, i had a year where i couldn't work for anybody in opposition so i had a year working with a company that actually went under during the recession without paying any of their staff which included me uh, my car was towed off my driveway in 1991 which was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in my life so you've got all these things sometimes that you look and think you know what what did, how did that go wrong and then you need you get a lucky break and the lucky break in my case is that during my earnout I, I still had a really good bond with the staff and the people that worked there and nobody begrudged me being successful they all were, were quite pleased to see someone doing well and it was one of those guys that asked me to go into what originally was a six-month consultancy for a digital company in those early days a company called real time and i was there 14 years and actually we built it into one of the first digital agencies in the uk and merged it with a big dm agency real time became chef real time and ehs brand uh, now all part of the Havas network but the learnings from that sometimes when you're at your absolute low and you you're thinking it oh, and we had the two young children then and we we sold the lovely house that we were living in and bought a house in a, a cheaper area it's just keeping your confidence and keeping mm. all the things that got you to that point is not losing them when you become when you go through a bad time and I think there's probably been four or five recessions during the time I've been in business. There's one now, as you know, with coronavirus. Yeah. But the others have been pretty awful. You know, if you go back over the period, there's been some really horrible ones. And I think being cheerful, being confident, seeking advice from people that have maybe been through it and can can help. Uh, working twice as hard on keeping the business relationships during those periods so not actually taking your foot off the gas going to people where you know there's going to be no work because they're struggling like you are but keep that relationship going and just be seen be out there linkedin didn't exist when i wanted to do all those things so i had to create my own social network which tended to involve pints of bitter at Tukan or the Nelly Dean or any number of pubs so my social networking was very much like people in a, in a pub now the things that people can do on LinkedIn quickly is phenomenal and uh, I recommend just using it in a nice way not a silly way but more informing people what you're up to keeping in touch with people and just being a decent person at the end of it 
people because if you're a decent person the people that you passed as you were on your way up <laughs> when they're going the other direction they're going to help you because you're a decent person if you were a bit of a you know what then no one's going to help you and i think your point of you know especially at the moment a lot of businesses are going to be going under or struggling at the moment having that personal belief having that confidence trust in yourself believe in yourself as you've been saying is is absolutely crucial and for me as you know only too well a few well more than a few years ago now i felt i had a fairly rough patch in my career and i started to lose that confidence quite quickly and it, it was scary how in such a short space of time you can go from being supremely confident total trust in what you're doing know that you can know that you've got a skill set to suddenly realizing that i you don't want to get out of bed you'll feel demotivated you feel like you can't trust yourself and it's having that confidence having that belief in yourself is crucial but then also having individuals like yourself you you my individuals who are mentors as well were around me that could just pick me up and give me those couple of words or that one minute conversation to just say look actually we get you in a funk but this is where you need to go and this is what you need to think of it is Again, it comes back to those connections, having those connections that really mean something rather than just a load of business cards or a load of random names on LinkedIn, having connections that mean something and that you are actually engaged with is so important. If I can give you one final little story then that ties in with that, because when, when uh, I joined Realtime in 1991 and we built that company up to uh, we had about a hundred people in digital agency. There were only eight of us when we started. About a hundred people. We merged that company with another agency called uh, EHS, Direct Marketing Agency. Mm. We were winning lots of really high-profile accounts. You know, the launch of the new Mini on and offline, mm. the Football Association, the launch of the New England Fans Club, the Building First Premier League website. There were all these good things going on. In 2002, we merged it with another agency, so it became even bigger, and they were called Bren. And all of a sudden, there were 350 staff. So, uh, and I was vice chairman of this. And the board, the board meetings that I used to sit on when there was only six of us or four of us, or at the very most, eight or nine people, all of a sudden were like 20 or sat around a boardroom table and with the chairman, there and the chief financial officer and all the board account directors and during that period I lost my confidence and it was gradual but but I was going into those board meetings dreading them rather than just enjoying them and giving a real rah-rah let's get going and there was it was the manager incoming managing director from Brown brought in this strength finder thing and they got all of the board to do the strength finder test and he got a lady called jill garrett who'd been interviewing people like colin powell to spend time with every board member uh, to work on what their strengths were it, it didn't focus on any weaknesses only only strengths and it was during the one hour session after that i was chatting to her and i i was really honest with her and i said that i was getting to the point where I wasn't really enjoying it anymore and thinking about I'll move on. And that on the board, there were so many people on the board who were much brighter than I was. They, were, they all had MBAs and 
you know, they, they were just good at most things in my eyes. And she was going through this with me and she said, but when you look at your five strengths, Phil, they, none of the board share them. And in particular, there's one there that you've got that's positivity that nobody on the board has got. So you've got 20 people around that table and not one of them has positivity in their top five. And she said, it's like your number one. And she said, you can't buy that. You can't actually uh, hire someone regardless of how good they are and their background. You can't hire people that haven't got those um, skills that allow you to get things done. And I think my other strengths were things like maximizer and activator, but they tend to be more practical. Like here's a problem, sort it out, rather than like thinking about it for too long. And I went out of that meeting and it changed everything. Just went, went back to those same board meetings, but feeling a lot more back in control again. So yeah. sometimes it is just about having somebody tell you at the right time, you know, you're doing a great job, mm. just carry on doing what you're doing. And be willing to be open and honest about it as well. Because too often we hide those feelings away and we get more and more depressed and more and more isolated, self-isolating ourselves, rather than just as you said to that lady, but as I said to you, my wife and others, look, you know, I'm not feeling in a good place. And you've got to be open with yourself to allow yourself to do that. And sometimes it can be quite difficult to do as well. It isn't always easy to admit that. But uh, yeah, it's, no, if you do and you open yourself up, it can lead to massive value. I think doing it in the current climate is easier than it used to be because mental yeah. health yeah. is like given a much um, higher profile now. And there are some agency folk that I know in, in recent months of committed suicide who are people that you wish that you've realized they had a problem and that you could have said something at the right time but yeah. these things are going on all over and some people have nobody they can turn to just what you did um yeah. certainly back in the day when i was running my first business i didn't have anybody i didn't know non-execs even existed yeah it wasn't something that was normal in our industry and the thought of going to an external person to ask advice on anything was just not a normal set of circumstances. You basically just had to work your way through any given set. But nowadays, it's actually quite easy. It's, there's yeah. so many right, bright people out there who've sold their businesses, done well, and they're, they're keen to share their knowledge. So I think anybody in your network that's looking to do that, they can easily find good people to work with now. And I think like it's, you know, looping right back to what we said at the start and we've touched on again, it's having those meaningful connections. It isn't just creating or networking for the sake of networking, create those connections and be open to wherever they might lead. And they will then always stick with you. I also think doing volunteering to do things. So I know yeah. you already do that because you're involved with your own charity that you set up just because you had an idea, you saw a problem, yeah. you had an idea and you built something um, to rectify that. Um, but I sit on the uh, panel for the School of Communication Arts. And you've got a school there in Brixton yeah. with a lot of people who don't have a lot of money and they need to learn and they end up getting jobs in ad agencies or digital agencies. But when you actually see what they put themselves through, those students, in order to be able to do those courses, it's like quite incredible some of them have yeah. got children at home as well and and sometimes just volunteering 
to do stuff, even when you're busy, putting your hand up and say, yes, I'll help, I'll get involved. Uh, the, the payback is incredible. And, and again, because you're not looking for anything, nice things tend to happen to people who put themselves out, as you have been doing for a long, long time, Alex. And it keeps you real as well. It keeps you grounded. You know, when you're doing things like that, it sort of removes you away from, you know, we all get a bit insular, especially at the moment. We all get very worried about what we're all facing, what we're doing. But to do volunteering where you see how other people, the challenges they're facing, it keeps you real on the situations you're facing as well. Not to belittle what you're facing, but it does show you and it provides impact as well. And from when I left university and I was unemployed, volunteering was a massive game changer for me then because it gave me a feeling of self-worth. It was, it was hugely important to me at that point and it has always been through my career since then. So volunteering, I'm a massive, massive advocate of it. Yeah. I think it is so important. When you, you mentioned earlier on about the Podge launches and that the reason that Podge started in 1994 so this, uh, last year was our 25th anniversary. But the reason it started in 94 is that a lot of the people that were my clients in the 1980s, when I had my own business, had all gone through this same recession that I had. And a lot of them hadn't survived it. Some of them, some of them barely survived. And I just thought it would be really nice to organize a launch where we all split the bill between us and that everyone just openly shared what was going on in their lives and their businesses and and I felt that at the time there was a need for that. What I didn't know at the time is that 25 years later, it would still be going and be an annual event. It was literally supposed to be a one-off. It was at Coglino's in a, in a posh private room at the top. It was a one-off little get-together and everyone found it so valuable that 25 years on, we now have sports podge, digital podge, design podge, and it's, and they're now each for 250 people. So it's just crazy. But I think it's because it shows the need is there for people to meet their peers and share stuff, even the bad stuff, but just share it. And then the number of people that have gone on and formed lifelong relationships just by being sat next to each other at a podge launch is incredible, including two weddings. <laughs> So look, Phil, it, it looks like we almost planned that by coming right back through to what connections look like and what you do with Podge as well. God, anyone would think that this podcast is starting to look a little bit professional. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Way too professional. Phil, or a real world, just like getting people like talking to each other. And doing it without any, like you said, without any hidden agenda. Doing good things and great things can happen. And just being allowing yourself to expose yourself to that, I think is, is so important. And you know, be willing to go down that route rather than go into these sort of speed networking sessions or anything which is where you, where you don't make those contrived connections. Yeah, what exactly. you don't want is something that's contrived. It, yeah. just, just go and meet, meet people. Like yeah. you and I have done it several times where we've just gone out and I'll bring in a third party and then you start to chat about what you do. Yeah. Immediate synergy. But I, I think if you went in, a, in advance knowing what you were going to talk about, that, I don't think that would happen. And, and it would lead to awkward conversations. But Phil, yeah. thank you so much indeed. I really, really appreciate it. And if any of you out there ever managed to bump into Phil and he takes your network, it would be very 
aware and plan for a very, very late night. And anyone who's watching this that has been to any of the Podgers will know that the connections really only start till the bacon sandwich when the bacon sandwiches are served at about 7 p.m. And then it goes on yeah. and on and on after that. So pace yourself and look forward for a good night. <laughs> but Phil, thank you so much indeed, mate. I really appreciate the time. It's absolutely excellent. Lovely to talk to you and good luck with your podcast. Cheers, Phil. Thank you so much. And love to Babs and the family. Speak to you soon. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the GBU podcast presented by Alex Mitchell. 